Hi there, Hooplaudians. We're coming to you live to discuss the tales and adventures of Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 2. Welcome to Holocron Hoopla. Hoopla! Hoopla! The unofficial <laughs> podcast of This Is The Way. Ooh. We're back again this week for the second episode of Season 3 of The Mandalorian. Ooh. Chapter 18, The Mines of Mandalore. Where we get to get back to the old home planet of all the Mandalorians. All that exciting stuff they've been talking about for the past three seasons is finally coming to fruition, and we are excited beyond belief to discuss these events. My name is Jamie Claren. As always, I am joined by the Jedi historian Andy Smith. Andy Smith here, connoisseur of many nerdy things, Lord of the Rings, Marvel, DC, Star Wars. Has anyone else been watching The Bad Batch? The Bad Batch has two episodes left. It's a great animated uh, Star Wars TV show. Crosshair is my favorite character in the Bad Batch, but is he in the Bad Batch? That's a question for the next season of Holocron Hoopla. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Too many Star Wars shows coming out simultaneously. Crazy decision making by the Disney Plus team. But hey, that's fine. More Star Wars is always better. Ain't that right? Everybody's favorite droid, Chris Pio. C3Pio here. Absolutely, that's correct. And how dare you thinking... There could be more Star Wars that we would want to wait to view and enjoy. Give it all to me at the same time. Uh, C3PIO here, back for episode two of season three of Mando. Very excited to talk this over with you guys. Uh, Lots of droids in this episode, so you know I'm about that. You do love yourself a little droid. (laughs) Let's see if we can maybe buy you a new one this episode. (laughs) And joining us is a very special guest this week. We have the last lifeguard from the mines of Mandalore, who I guess was just taking a break. You just calling it off on your shift and just letting people drown in the mines? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hazardous occupation. I can't say what's going on, you know, that people are dying, people are drowning. I'm not, admittedly, I'm not good at my job. I'm not good at my job. And we all know that. <laughs> yeah. Jake Laxer here, lover of all things TV and movies. Uh, ready to dive huh, into <laughs> episode two of season three. Yeah. Um, and let me tell you, this is going to be a fun one, fellas. It is. It is. I'm very excited for it. So thank you all for joining us here on the Holocron Hoopla podcast. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, let us know what you thought about this episode what you thought about some of our hot takes we got flying at you. Chris, where can people find us on social media? If we're talking Mando, we're talking at Holocron Hoopla, both on Twitter and Instagram, for all of your Star Wars and Galaxy Far, Far Away types of comments. Uh, Make sure to follow us on our other podcast channels as well. You're looking for at Hobbit Hoopla for anything Lord of the Rings and the Tolkien universe. Uh, Find our Rings of Power episodes along with maybe our Hobbit... uh, reviews that you can find uh additionally you're also going to want to look for at hero hoopla both on twitter and instagram for anything jumping off the comic book page that's going to be your marvel your dceu anything involving the comic books and superheroes find us there 
And then, of course, follow our main channel, at Hoopla Podcast Networks, both on Twitter and Instagram. You're looking for at Hoopla Podcasts. Uh, engage with us. Make sure to uh, rate our podcast if you find that you enjoyed it. Uh, check us out on Spotify as well as Apple uh, Apple Podcasts and really anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, if you leave us a review, that'd be great. Give us a little five stars if you think we earned it. And uh, make sure to engage with us online. We look forward to hearing from you. Absolutely. Yeah, we would very much appreciate any reviews you guys have for us. And if you know some other people that are out there watching The Mandalorian alongside you, send them our way to join the Hoopla and we can just get as many people join this fun little adventure as possible. And Andy Smith, if some of these lovely people were interested in getting some of our cool merchandise, t-shirts, mugs, what can they do? The the Hoopla merch is at hooplapodcastnetwork.square.site. We'll have that in the links below as well. Uh, yeah, as, as Jamie said, we have some Holocron Hoopla and Hobbit Hoopla gear. Check it out. Some great shirts, mugs, uh, ornaments. Uh, and uh, yeah, go take a look. Uh, links in the description below. Beautiful. It's never too early to start your Christmas shopping. Ooh. Yeah, I, uh, ornaments. <laughs> nor, <laughs> like, nor never too late. St. Patty's Day ornament. I don't it know, is Boot to Eve, after all. It so is Boot to Eve. to Eve ornament as we dive straight into this episode. We go back to our favorite planet with our favorite... I, I don't even know what her job is, I guess. Mechanic? She's a mechanic. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's a great our favorite mechanic. mechanic. Belly just well, scamming she, people. She's <laughs> confidant. Yeah. She is skimming people off the top, though. I mean, that yeah, that is. Rodian really got taken advantage yeah. of. But you know, yeah. it seems like a Tatooine type mechanic way. <laughs> yeah, of course. You go, you strip someone's vehicle of all the parts, and then you sell the parts back to them at a nice price hike. I love it. Yeah. It's called capitalism baby and she's <laughs> killing it <laughs> she she certainly is and let me say one of her favorite sale one of my favorite sales that she or transactions that she performs is selling the r5 unit i absolutely Ooh. love i love the r5 unit that had uh severe anxiety what a great attribute to install into a droid <laughs> <laughs> of all the human emotions you can put into a droid why not make it panic in your tough situations? <laughs> so I was actually interested in the, the, the storyline last season when they introduced R5 and they showed on the back of R5 where when this is the, the unit that Luke Skywalker chose over R2-D2, but then it broke. So he chose R2-D2 in A New Hope. And you see on the back of the R5 unit, one of the pieces that exploded, it's been patched back on like very shoddily. <laughs> um, I, I thought that was really funny. And the fact that they introduced that, that one, it's a good... I, does this categorize as an Easter egg, Chris? An R5 <laughs> unit that most of the audience wouldn't recognize? Uh, I think an Easter egg, definitely. I think there might be even a little more lore involved, considering R5 is now along for the adventure. Correct. Uh, I don't know. The, the team over there at Mando might be poking a little bit of fun. They might be actually exploring the lore of R5. Okay. Uh, I've heard there's actually, and I, I'm not a, a, a big Star Wars comic guy, but I have heard that there's actually a non-canon uh, comic <laughs> based on R5's adventures and how he... 
he she they uh, somehow is involved with like the inner machinations of the galaxy more than you could oh possibly my. imagine so, so wow. might be worth so checking out uh, Jake, you're about to jump off yeah, the bench here. Yeah, I am. Here. Uh, here's my question. Has, have they come out and confirmed that that is the exact R5 unit that Luke passed on? Uh, I'm not sure if they... I'm sure they have met Dave Filoni or team has mentioned that in the past. It's been... It's very well... Established. Like, it's, it's established. implied, on, if not... It's implied. Very right, sure, implied. it's implied. Right, I get... I understand the implication. I'm just asking, <laughs> is that... A, is that factual? Is that fact? You know what? I'm saying it is. <laughs> John Favreau and the behind-the-scenes team that they did for the first and second seasons of Mando, uh, there is a part where they are discussing R5. Oh, nice. They're actually all pondering over the, the physical, uh, physical chassis, mm. and they're talking about how, oh yeah, this is the same R5 from 30 years ago. It, it, it never got off the planet, and it's the same one. So okay. uh, I don't know if they've officially confirmed it, but we are thinking that R5 is indeed the same. They do also they do also have Jawas in the exact same scene as they bring back R5 into this. So mm, I this I, true. Mm-hmm. I think that is supporting evidence. That I'm just throwing that out there. So they've uh, I have have a point to make on the on the Jawa piece. Yeah, make so a point. They've really used Jawas very um liberally i would say Mm. you know when we watch uh, a new hope and uh they're kind of these traitors that are out in the dune sea really in tatooine now they're established as a major trading force Mm. almost as like a a a guild (laughs) because they're Mm -hmm. everywhere and they're the they are managing all of these different transactions in cantinas in Pelly's uh, mechanic shop across all these different cities, even mm. in Freetown or Mos Pelgo. Kind of uh, interesting. They have a hand in everything. Yeah. yeah, and Mando even trusts them to be like the the traders of important mind uh, chips. What what are we calling the thing that he's the looking for? Well said. Chip. That well was like said. a me statement. <laughs> the mind. <laughs> I way, spent too much time to with Jake. I don't know how to level. talk anymore. Way to speak to my level. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, so he asked the Jawas if they know where he can find one of these old uh, discontinued memory chips so that he can get his buddy. Uh, uh, IG-11. Yep. I can't remember anything. IG-11. Yep. Back. So they're not just like these scavengers that we th- maybe thought they were, but they're actually like important trades people yeah. across the world and this is correct me if i'm wrong lore master but uh i believe this is the second time we've seen in mando lore with the jawas the first being when they took the um mudhorn egg and the second mm-hmm. being in the book of boba fett when they steal the donation or payment to the di- the daimo daimyo boba so i yeah i mean they're prominent mm-hmm. to your point they are prominent in the galaxy yes yeah, and I think we've we've even seen them a few other times in uh in Ma- in Pelly's mechanic shop. They they provided the materials for the Naboo starfighter as well. Mm. True, 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 true. All I know is that we did not spend very long on Tatooine, and I was thankful for that. Great to see Amy Sedaris in anything. Yeah. Uh, great to have that little flash. But when we when we when we saw that starfighter floating down to Mos Eisley. I was like, 
Ugh, we're here again. <laughs> but thankfully, we did not spend too long there. There was a practical reason for going there. And then uh, as far as leaving Tatooine, I think the pace picked up pretty quick from there. Yeah, certainly when we just take a straight shot with our new R5 unit and head on over to the desolated planet of Mandalore. <laughs> we so, have to stop using desolated. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking desolated planet. <laughs> it is desolated. If you can come up with a better word for it, I'll use a better word. Uh, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> so before Mando lands, he's talking about the canon behind Mandalore and how when he grew up, he discussed how it was imperative that they learned how to utilize maps. And I was like, oh, so they have to learn that this is the way. <laughs> did that, did that resonate with anyone else? Way, right? did, did that resonate with and anyone else? I am leaving the recording <laughs> channel and I'm off the pod. I'll see you guys. Right, it was bye, really thanks, fun. Jake. You ruined everything. <laughs> I did, you know, to more talking about the series here, I, I actually like that moment a lot because he explains to Grogu and the audience that isn't aware of Mandalore and how the system works. It's the main system in or the main planet in the system, and he said, oh, there's Concordia, which is mm-hmm. where uh, Children of the Watch kind of descend from um, the Vizsla <laughs> clan. Uh, that's their homeworld. And then the, he mentions Kalvala, which is over here to the right, and that actually played into the storyline as well, so it wasn't just yeah. telling us you know, more about their society, but then it is communicating with Grogu what, what a future task is, which is very Mandalorian. It's like, we go from this task to this task. It's very serialized. It's just a fun adventure. But I, mm-hmm. I did enjoy the kind of the information around, oh, I've never been to Mandalore, even though I've always been able to see it because um, it's destroyed. Yeah, that was a, a, a very cute moment. And again, our, we got to keep track cute of our time. cute meter here, just ever increasing for Grogu. <laughs> But that's too so far because he moment. flipped out of the, the starfighter <laughs> yeah. into Pelly's hands. Yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty oh, yeah. dope. Honestly, she she seemed pretty impressed. I was impressed. <laughs> yeah, who taught you to leap like a lerpin? <laughs> yeah. um, as as is yes, cute moment. Yes, but I think you need to think deeper about it. And, and not that you aren't, but when analyzing, you know, Mando truly just teaching Grogu. They are a clan. They're a clan of two. I mean, this is something where he is trying to teach him how to be a Mandalorian and follow the way because Grogu chose that path. So now it's up to Mando to actually teach him. Okay, even the boring stuff. Okay, like you have to learn navigational charts. You have to know where you're going and stuff like that. So uh, it's very cool to see that is actually what would be happening. We're not every Star Wars scene is going to be a cool lightsaber battle. Sometimes you have to learn how to fly shit. It's true. It's and world yet- building. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did like how there was a good reason for them to have Mando explaining everything that they were doing. Because while you're watching the episode, yeah. part of it's kind of awkward where it's just Mando with a droid and Grogu who don't speak. So Mando's the only character who can speak. Mm-hmm. And they have to give the audience this narrative, right? So in order to do that, they have Mando just kind of monologuing about everything that's going on. And if it wasn't for the fact that he's training Grogu how to become a Mandalorian, then it would be 
much more uncomfortable to yeah. watch. But I think they did it in a in a pretty nice way where we could have him going down into the old destroyed city on Mandalore and explain the history to Grogu so that the audience can learn alongside this new young and up and coming Mandalorian. And how about some of those jump scares and stuff that we got in this episode kind of getting into a little bit of like a horror trope terrified me yeah and they should start doing that why not implement that into the show to make it a little bit more gripping i'm down i'll take it i'll have r5 disappear off the radar send send that scared little (laughs) off into the the land and see what happens (laughs) i don't know but i feel bad about leaving grogu behind that's the only thing if they're gonna do that you have to abandon the child that's devastating Actually, yeah. before we talk about the jump scare, I another cute counter here. Uh, when Grogu sees him walking away, and mm. they've—I don't know if they've gotten better or like I'm just noticing it more. But Grogu is just this little expressive puppet, and he's like yeah. so I think sad. Both. He was just so sad. Yeah, uh, it's incredible. I was thinking that same thing, Andy. I I I was thinking how. I don't think it's necessarily the puppeteers being better or more proficient at their job. I think it is they were told to not be expressive in, in early uh, yeah, staging sure. and, and any sort of animation that Grogu would do was very subtle. But now that he's maturing, coming into his own and actually expressing emotions, I think that's showing his in his movement, body language. Yeah, his his facial features and then his flips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, that, i want to see how they obvious. do it on the actual set if they just have someone take yeah. the puppet and just throw it 20 feet to the yeah. next guy yeah <laughs> i'm sure That'd some be of great. that is edited <laughs> but when, but when the mandalorian walks into that cave and you're there's an uneasy feeling to it but at the same time we're as the audience we don't know if anything's alive on this planet so i thought maybe it would maybe he's just gonna explore this city and then that out of nowhere, that alien coming in, yeah. I jumped. They definitely they got me a little bit with those aliens jumping out and with the horror aspect of watching the the dot on the map disappear as R five went away. Uh but I thought it was cool how they uh introduced this idea over the past few seasons even of the fact that Mandalore was cursed and the planet was poisoned and the, the atmosphere was unbreathable and then they gave us little clues along the way that maybe it was habitable with the Jawas having this chunk of glass saying that they've been to the surface. And then we mm. find out that, in fact, the planet is not poisoned. It's just desolated. Ain't that right, Chris? <laughs> That's so right. <laughs> I have two gripes with this. I don't think I'm the only one. I'm not groundbreaking or... Uh, you know, whistleblowing here. The first of which is how come the R5 unit is the first ever droid to run an analysis on the Mandalorian planet's uh, atmosphere? I just have a feeling like if the Empire and even, of course, the Mandalorians knew that there was so much valuable Beskar on that planet, someone would have sent like an orbital drop pod to analyze the air. But then you can't send that, that data like, out of the atmosphere, Chris. I, Weren't you watching the episode? I know. Yeah, it had, I, yeah <laughs> they were very clear to say, oh, we're going to be on our own down there. I, I, I just, I feel like someone would have found a way. But again, I could push past that. It's, it's, it's Star Wars. Uh, and then the, the second one is, I... I I, I liked the jump scares, but tonally, I didn't really think that 
all of them were were necessary. Uh, the radar blipping, the guys popping out, and by the way, they're called Alamites, not just aliens. Uh, oh, of course, yeah. Bo-Katan tells us that later, but uh, and then you know, even further down in the city, I think some of the jump scares, even the one where like we saw the little dragon creature, and then he snaps at Grogu as Grogu's trying to leave later on. It's like, I don't know. It just didn't feel... Just be an adventure. Don't try to scare me. But that one was a minor one. The bigger one is that I can't believe no one had tested Okay, so I had the same thought on... They could have explained something like, oh, in... It seems recently there was some phenomenon that allowed the atmosphere to be breathable again yeah that would have been better because you cannot tell me in the past 20 years yeah has it yeah 20 25 years bogatan hasn't tried to retake mandalore even though it is a tomb of her civilization there's still so many mandalorians out there they're not just waiting for them to get the dark saber then go like has there not been an expedition down like although isn't um, that what she claims it, didn't she claim that they were waiting for the Darksaber to unify them yet again? Yeah, but not all the Mandalorian clans are, you know, are all dependent on the Darksaber, mm, right? I see. I mean, maybe, I mean... Some follow it religiously, some right. don't, but... Well, maybe we're actually stumbling ourselves into a little theory here. Maybe some of these other Mandalorian clans have traveled back to Mandalore. And maybe there uh, are maybe. small sects of Mandalorians trying to retake the planet, unable to communicate outside the planet, and so maybe they're, we just can't tell that they're there yet, and maybe we're going to run into them, because it seems like we're going to be on this planet for a little bit longer. That's a good point. So that could be a fun theory. Maybe they've purified the air near Mandalore. Maybe. Does it seem like we're going to be on this planet for a while? For at least the start of next episode. <laughs> because Grogu got into this planet that no one had been to to 25 years and then got out of the planet on his own, got to a completely different moon of that planet and got back before Din was even injected. I'm sorry, I can't. The pacing of that scene was just awful. I liked it. I did no. too. I did too. I enjoyed it. Mando yeah. should be dead. Din Djarin should be dead. It's a There's moon. Absolutely no he went to my a theory moon. would be correct. His blood <sighs> I, was being I was siphoned thinking. I was thinking Jamie's very be right. slowly. You need to realize this, Chris. <laughs> General Grievous was siphoning his blood. <laughs> yes. I'm just kidding. That's not true. He had but to I, develop the technology to get a syringe. I definitely, definitely did get Grievous vibes, though. If they if they made oh, that yeah, connection, yeah. that would be incredible. If that was Grievous, if they brought that, no, back. that's definitely not Grievous, but it's the same so, alien species. I'm predicting. Either way, I was a big fan. Yeah. So as Mando goes deeper into the into the caves here beneath the Civic Center, uh, runs into the 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 trap was cool. The crab walker right. trap thing. Um, not even sure what to call it. I'm I'm sure we'll get a name later on, but that was great. How long do you think that alien was sitting there waiting for that trap? I know. <laughs> He's like, someone's going to come by and look at this Mandalorian <laughs> helmet eventually. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know if it was like they heard or the, the alien heard, you know, the, the ruckus mm. up above. I don't know how far sound travels, but. That's what I, I assumed. I did like, I thought that alien was very cool, like interestingly, like constructed. Yes. Um, and then having the, the larger tank 
uh, type droid that then he gets out of and does his dealings. And then when his head gets cut off, I know that this is later on in the series, then his he, he's so like maneuverable. Like, no wonder this thing has survived for so long. Right. The, mo- yeah. the mobility of the creature is very interesting. Uh, in, in terms of, like, detaching its whole self uh, as just a, a singular, like, head unit, and then being able to remobilize into a different construct was awesome. Yeah, I thought it was very cool. But I, I thought the, yeah, I thought the, the secondary body that it formed to was definitely the most badass. The most grievous like for sure. Well, similarly, like when his head is off, he has little uh, feet that uh, spike out similar to Grievous when he like changes into a walking mode and he's able to like go up walls. And I I do think it is the same type of creature. Um, And I like that they're they're exploring in Mandalorian very a lot of different styles of creatures it's not Mm. just rodians and jawas it's things that we haven't seen before like the alamites like you mentioned Mm. chris um it's just and all the beasts like it's just very an it's an open world uh tv show is just uh very well made uh from a expansive like star wars scaling perspective that's why I was groaning when we went back to Tatooine. Yes. I was like, <laughs> yeah. all right, we saw Navarro. We saw its change. We saw its come up. That's great. Get rid of Navarro forever. Like that, <laughs> we don't need to see it again. <laughs> if we need to see it again for some reason, sure. Obviously, he wants to go get IG-11. But, and then we get back to Tatooine. I'm just like, give us something new. Give us this. Give us Mandalore. Give us the minds of Mandalore. And give us these really cool creatures that have been down there this whole time. Yeah. And John Favreau gave you what you wanted. You are welcome, and <laughs> Rachel Morrison. I can't discredit the director and of this Dave episode. Filoni. And Dave Filoni, of course, can't. Yeah, and, and George and George Lucas, <laughs> and the Hoopla Podcast. We all are in it together. <laughs> um, but if we are talking about this weird little general grievous alien mechanical creature, we got to talk about the fight scene that it got in, and. Let's discuss a little bit about the two black saber scenes we got. We had initially we had Mando using the black saber against these Alamites. And then we had Bo-Katan. Forgot her name for a second. We had Bo-Katan come back. She picked up the dark saber and just was incredible with it. Mm. So we get this vast difference in like competence with this dark saber between Mando, who is technically the rightful owner of it, and Bo-Katan, who has wielded it for a very long time. What, what's going on with the inability of Mando to use this thing? It, that's, a, that's interesting, because it goes back to when he got the Darksaber, and during those Boba Fett episodes, there was, in the first episode, he was training with the armor, and she was trying to teach him how he's fighting against it. He's using it as a as a standard sword, um, and it, it's not. He hasn't uh, gotten better over time. I thought that was an interesting take, where he clearly mm-hmm. hasn't perfected the art of 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 wielding a lightsaber. And then that contrast of, and it, it it's contrast in many ways. It's this should this guy be the leader of. Mandalore, he can't even wield the dark saber, but then you see Bo-Katan who uses it honestly as well as some Jedi in in a lot yeah. of ways. 
And then mm. one quick th- uh, uh, tangent point when she uses the cable yes. to grab the dark saber and bring it yes. as a, a force wielder would use the force. I thought that was so cool. And yes. uh, just it shows you what Mandalorians can be like. Yeah. They used to be the ultimate Jedi or the enemy of the Jedi thousands of years ago. And that's how they would have beat a said Jedi because they're using their their yeah, technological uh, Jedi, the tech technology. We're we're going in just a bit of a reverse order there, but I think to even take a step back, Andrew, you're you're right. She's talking to Grogu and saying, uh, you know, I I was a friend of the Jedi for for many years. We actually got along quite well. And if if you're a Clone Wars fan or even a Rebels mm-hmm. fan, you think back to. Uh, talking about their her travels and 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 tribulations with Ahsoka, yep. obviously, which hopefully we'll see more of mm-hmm. in the future. Uh, but then even back to like Kanan and Co. with with Star Wars Rebels, uh, with meeting with Ezra and Kanan as Jedi, as well as you know Sabine using the dark saber way back then as well, who also had the same problems trying to train with that dark saber. So it's all coming together. The yep. dark saber is kind of that through line ticket for all these series and to see uh, Bo-Katan use it so proficiently was very cool. Um, on that point, Chris, I think that Dave Filoni and John Favreau are doing a fantastic job of looping the audience into watching previous lore that they've created. Like, yeah, oh, like, yeah. I, I feel like with each season, it's just Clone Wars becomes more and more enticing to go back and rewatch. Mm, um, I agree. Especially if they leave out information, which they should. They should just do a little tease like they've been doing, um, like the like discussing the fall of Mandalore and just let people jump back and go revisit all that content. Yeah, if if you got scared away from Clone Wars through the first maybe half of the first season, push through, <laughs> try again. They they really struggled to figure things out. And uh, by the way, Ahsoka used to be one of the most hated Star Wars characters of all time. And now I think she's generally agreed to be one of the Season most. Season right, one so on it, Jar Jar levels. Actually. Yeah, it's yeah. it's bad. Well, speaking of which, they really figure when out we get in a Jar Jar the stories they want to tell. <laughs> <laughs> that Maybe Jar Jar will show up in the oh. Ahsoka series coming out late summer 23. I... As a Sith Lord, <laughs> Sith Lord. <laughs> go watch a theory on YouTube. She's gonna say she's gonna find Grand Admiral Thrawn. He's gonna turn around and it is Jar Jar. <laughs> so this was a very Bo-Katan heavy episode, and I thought she was great the whole way through. From the first scene we see with her, where Grogu shows up in the ship and she walks out thinking that Mando is there, and she's gonna say, "Let's get rid of him once and for all," until she realizes that. Mando is not with Grogu and then immediately her perspective changes and she's like oh yeah we got to go save this guy so that was a very interesting switch where I think you know she's still as like sad as she was in the previous episode and kind of maybe not hopeless but she wasn't feeling very good about the future of Mandalorians now all of a sudden she still does have this like desire to, to keep the she future cares of the for the mandalorians right even though she's not wanting to lead right now she still has that fervent like kind of that the monarch leader would yeah um, there's still a connection she has to the mandalorian responsibility i i do think it is interesting um at least like bo sort of perspective and her you know what she adheres to in terms of rituals so like she doesn't care for keeping the helmet on right 
but she has a great deal of respect for honoring the Black Saber, you know, uh, in which that it should only be wielded by those who earn it in combat. So um, will we see other aspects that Bo-Katan brings to the table in terms of what she does follow, what she does not follow? Where does the religious line, you know, where is that drawn? And I liked the little tour that she was taking and I guess acting as tour guide through this city on Mandalore discussing mm-hmm. the history and discussing how her family once ruled over this whole place. And then she has hmm. uh, a funny little interaction when they finally go down into the mines of Moria. And she's like, oh, you don't need to go down there. <laughs> I went there once when I was a kid and it was kind of like a silly little adventure. And then she reads the plaque on the wall sarcastically. Yeah. The whole purpose of Mando's journey to Mandalore is to get down into the mines, the living waters under the mines of Mandalore. And we finally get there. It's a nice little religious experience for him. I think one thing that makes Katie Sackhoff and specifically Bo-Katan, the character, great, is that, yes, we talked about how she's not afraid to jump in and, and hold that responsibility that she still has to the people of the Mandalorian you know, culture. She'll, she'll jump at any instant to try and save one. One little subtle leadership thing that I noticed, though, is Grogu goes into the cave with both of them at individual times, right? And by the way, he has a little flashlight, which cute. adorable. Cute it's super counter. Cute. Plus one for the cute meter. <laughs> but Mando is leading by example, goes down into the mines and activates his flashlight first. And then we see Grogu turn his on. Okay, mm. cute little flashlight, whatever. I didn't think anything of it. When they're revisiting it, when Bo-Katan and, and Grogu are revisiting it, she has to kind of talk him into it. So she's got this leadership style that's more uh, indirect, uh, more backseat, I guess you could say. Yes, she's a fighter. Yes, she can jump in when necessary. But Grogu actually turns his flashlight on first after that little pep talk from Bo-Katan. And then she turns her flashlight on. So I, don't, I might be reading too much into that, but I think it does kind of show the leadership style that someone in that mind right now is going to be the leader of Mandalore in the future. Who knows who it's going to be? I think all three of them are possible candidates. It could be Mando, could be Grogu, could be Bo-Katan. Could be weird little General Grievous uh, We'll have to Grievous wait and find guy. out. Could, could, be, <laughs> could be the little General Grievous robot. Uh, but I, I think as far as, as leadership goes... They have different styles, and that was very subtly hinted at in this episode. Mm. I don't know. what you guys agree with that? Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I know it's just a flashlight. No, I think that's a very good point, because I do think we learn a lot about the subtle ways that she is a better leader than Mando, in my opinion, from what we've seen so far. Um, She does seem like she would be a very good leader of the Mandalorian's whether like she maybe doesn't believe in this kind of culty aspect of it that Mando believes, um, but she does have all the qualities you need of being a good leader, aside from the fact that she has no people to lead. But who cares? That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, if you build it, they will follow, right? <laughs> true. <laughs> um, so what were you guys thinking when we finally do get to have Mando bathe in the living waters? And he goes and he takes off his belt holding his uh, gun and then just starts walking into the water in full armor. <laughs> Did we Which, not I mean, learn? I guess you got to leave Did the we... armor on because you're a Mandalorian. But uh, Look, the whole time I was like, dude, you're going to drown and die. 
do we not learn from the crocodile? <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, this is such a religious experience for the Mandalorian. Like the way that I know it's he's in his full suit, and maybe maybe that is or is not. Maybe it's the stunt person. Maybe it's Pedro Pascal. But the way that he stood there, kind of with his hands kind of open, and it just paused. This is the biggest moment, the the height to his life, really, at this point, because this is no other Mandalorian that he knows has been down here, has ever seen this. And just an interesting kind of religious, spiritual aspect to something that's happening in front of him. And then he kind of walks down and he's, as he steps foot, foot, and he kind of recites the words i went back and watched like what what does he actually say and it's very similar just creed that it's the same creed that we heard the armor say to the little kid in 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 episode one very interesting to see someone's reaction to something so like spiritual for in their mind and and then to see the the contrast to bo katan behind him uh, after she just mocked the place but then, of course, if you do walk into a, a pool of water wearing full armor, you're going to drown. Well, so Chris laid out his qualms with the episode before. I'm going to say my spiel. The dude took four steps into, which then turned into a 130-foot drop-off. At least. At least. How is Where this Where are you getting for- that number from? I don't know. That's, it, was very, it was very deep. It was very deep. That's the extent to which you could dive to with an open or deep water dive certification. But regardless, doesn't matter. The point is, dude, what soaring? Like people typically bathe in this for rituals, and they like children, you know? Oh, okay. Oh, you're saying he, he fell? fell? So that's not how I took the scene at all. I he thought was he was pull- dragged. He was pulled under. Well, sure, no, 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 sure. But like, how was that? How is that safe? Like, would they not build it in a location where maybe there'd be, like, five feet of water for, like, ten yards or something? Oh, just it just seems so absurd to me that it's, like, one step, <laughs> two step, three step, whoosh! Oh, I, I see what you're saying. Like, how is that oh, safe? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, but that's the point. You got to earn it. Yeah, also, Mandalorians. I, I didn't think he expect? got dragged Did you want down? an infinity pool? I, I thought he was just falling. You guys thought he got oh, dragged I, under? Oh, I, I thought, thought he got dragged. I thought, I thought he got dragged. I thought something grabbed him. Yeah, I to thought me, something it looked like he just—that was the end of the <laughs> stairs, and he didn't see you as the last step, and he took a step and drowned. But the way that he went down wasn't that he just like fell in. It's also water. He's not just gonna like. He's also wearing four hundred pounds of metal. Yeah, he has a very heavy. Well, suit uh, of armor. my thing is, if he's gonna fall that fast in water, how the hell does he even walk around? That it yeah. must be so heavy. Have you, I don't think that could be have you ever like, swam in, in in Mando water, Chris? Uh, no. Obviously, it's it's significantly less dense than Earth water, <laughs> <laughs> and the gravity on Mandalore is it's really a, high, and the water's yeah. very yeah. yeah. As the only one yeah. here that is that has swam in a full set of Beskar armor, I can tell you <laughs> that he could have floated. <laughs> in fact, he should have floated. Well, yeah, to me yeah. it looked like he just he was drowning because you can't swim in armor. I was surprised at how fast and how deep he ended up going, and it took Bo Katan like jetpacking down to to catch up with yeah. him. Yeah, but I mean there was, I mean I, unless the mythosaur 
spoiler alert, unless the mythosaur pulled him down, then there wasn't really anything else to have pulled him. That's what, that, I, that thought. what I thought. I don't know. Yeah. Get in the comments. You, you tell yeah. us what you yeah. think. To your, we'll to your point, Jim, you know, the mythosaur was asleep when we saw it, so yeah. I think that was a pretty risky step. So it would be strange to me if the mythosaur just, like, <laughs> grabbed his foot, yanked him down, and then just took a nap? I almost <laughs> thought of it as a, like, I don't know, we can talk about the mythosaur piece, but after the episode ended, I was like, is the Mandalorian, like, the chosen one of the mythosaur, and he's been drowned, like, been drowned by the mythosaur and brought back to life? I just... I, Mando, I had so many things Mando is, coming to mind. <laughs> Mando is about to be Taruk Makto of Avatar, and every all of the tribes <laughs> yeah. are gonna come back to Mandalore. It's gonna be amazing. Every every piece of content is just a James Cameron <laughs> yeah. vehicle. I thought that Bo Katan using the jetpack underwater so effectively was awesome. Like yeah. she was it looked cool. Looked cool. It, I was like, would that would that work? I don't know, but no, it would work. It would definitely work, hundred percent. Because all the fire kind of uh, yeah. coming out the back, I thought you know maybe it would get waterlogged the jetpack. Jake, um, my friend, you you are rather experienced uh, deep sea diver. Sure. I, I would say I, I'm not sure the exact title or nomenclature you yep. would use. Um. I do know that the bends are a very real thing. <laughs> yeah. And I have a feeling you have a comment I, on how quickly they I, rose from I that do, pressurized water. I do. They definitely should have made a safety stop. Um, although I can't, <laughs> I can't speak for the nitrogen content on Mandalore. Uh, well, I will it, say that... It may that... be a nitrogen-free planet, and if that's the case, then by all means, go from from, you know trench to surface but uh yeah that was uh that's a great point there chris i'm glad well, you brought that okay up. let me jump in here and say that if someone Mando, should have gotten some degree of na- gas narcosis <laughs> uh, i will say as far as the bends goes mandalorian didn't have his his helmet pressurized so he's fine you're not going to get the bends oh. if you don't breathe in pressurized right. air bo-katan maybe maybe we'll never know um but i will add one thing to the the mythosaur this goes back to episode one of season one of the mandalorian when we're with our good buddy quill mythosaur quill talking about how Mm. the mandalorians used to ride the great mythosaurs and now finally we get to see one and soon get to ride one yes mando (laughs) will conquer the mythosaur and ride him to victory wielding the dark saber I want to see the smallest creature ride the biggest creature. I only want Grogu <laughs> on top of the Mythosaur. That would be an uncountable cute points. <laughs> yes. <laughs> unlimited, unlimited cute points. <laughs> so when you saw the Mythosaur, did you guys immediately... Because when it turned its face, obviously you could see the... the the tusks and the and, and the the mouth. I jumped in the air and I said, "They did it! They did it! They brought in the mythosaur." I can't say that I jumped in the air, but I was excited. Oh, I jumped in the air, Chris. <laughs> did you jump in the air? I I didn't I didn't really jump in the air. I was still a little confused, to be honest. I got to rewatch that scene. 
I just don't know how he made it so far yeah, down. Yeah, he made it so far down. <laughs> I thought he got drowned by the mythosaur or something. I thought he got dragged, yeah. So I was kind of in a scared moment. But I don't know. It was, it was a very cool reveal. And Bo-Katan, I'll tell Her you response, what, in terms of acting. Oh, my God. Yeah, where, like, I don't even know. We talk about pressurized helmet. I don't even know how to describe it. But, like, she gulped. She, like, gulp? <laughs> Gosh, it <was> spooky. <laughs> like, and then, like, bubbles came out of her helmet. Like, she was clearly scared. Talk about acting. You can act underwater with a helmet on and still get emotion across. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then when she activate. gets up to the bubbles. top, when she gets to the top there and, uh, like, looks up, it really shows you this is a shocking moment for her because everything that she has believed, even since being a kid, that this was all fake like this was just this yeah. was just a show a to keep our people in line because so they had something to believe in but the royalty the political establishment they don't really care about all the folklore but maybe it was true that's going to be an interesting galvanize galvanizing moment for her character even more so than mando mando believe like if he saw a mythosaur yeah. he would immediately be like as they foretold you know, like for her, this this changes, I think, the trajectory mm. of her character story arc. Here's my question. Do you think she's seen someone drown that fast before? Uh, she definitely <laughs> jumped in the water <laughs> pretty, pretty damn rapidly. quick. She, she was ready That's to go. <laughs> he disappeared like, I, and she, no hesitation, dove in after him. Again, another moment of her being a fantastic <laughs> leader of the Mandalorians. Right, correct. It was certainly the fastest drowning that's, that's I've ever seen. That's two life debts. Yeah. That's two life debts. That is two life debts. <laughs> wow. Okay, so Jamie, we haven't talked about the city itself as the last part of this episode here. I thought it was incredible to see the the actual city that's been desolated. There we go. By the, by the, you know, we've seen in Clone Wars this city before. And being able to see it in its full glory, also some of its turmoil and, and warring, but then seeing it after an apparent apocalypse. And we've gotten a lot of apocalypse stories lately, and I think the look of this city ranks up there. Um, being able to... I, they specifically showed scenes in this episode that we've seen before in the Clone Wars, specifically in season seven the last season of clone wars yep where you know there's certain plateaus like the there's there's bridges that different clone troopers were fighting on mandalorians were fighting on maul was fighting on and they showed those same scenes and i want to go back and compare those two because now it's just a destroyed you know bombed out city hmm. and then also the mines themselves that was also in season seven with Maul and his band of maybe some of the members of Din Djarin's clan, like their mm. their uh, their ancestors. There's a lot of connections here that I to Jake's point earlier in the podcast. They've done a great job of pushing earlier content that's mm. out there already on Disney Plus, but it's for people that don't. You don't need that. That's just additional contextual information if you want to get there. 
the way that they showed this city, you know, a, a first time viewer can really just understand, oh, the something terrible happened here. And that's all you really need to know. Uh, so I mm-hmm. think Disney Plus mm-hmm. has done a really good job, Dave Filoni and John Favreau, and and doing that for the audience um, and for hardcore Star Wars nerds. Yeah, I'm excited to get back into this city next week and maybe for the rest of the season, see if we can start to rebuild the city once again under which leader? We'll find out. My hope is still Grogu to lead all the Mandalorians. <laughs> R5 for president. <laughs> I'm down Ooh. for that. Oh, also. Hash- Wait, is, is R5 the new barb? Like, is, is that a thing? Like, where is R5? Where, <laughs> where's R5? R5? Yeah. He's hiding. Wait, he's scared uh, little boy. Where, I guess he's probably just in his droid port. Yeah. yeah. As we start to bring this episode of the Holocron Hoopla podcast to a close, let's go around as we always do and give this episode a nice little rating on a scale of one to order 66. What do you guys Ooh. think about this episode and how's it stack up with episode one of season three? Let's start with you, Jakey boy. Yeah, um, I greatly enjoyed this episode. I thought the action choreography was well thought out there, and the introduction of the new creatures was very well done by the design team uh, on all fronts, bringing the Grievous characters in, yeah. bringing in uh, the Chris, help me out, what was the name of Alamites. those? Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Alamites. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, it, and then being able to see Bo-Katan, actually someone live action utilize the Darksaber proficiently for the first time was pretty exciting. And now we have Grogu sort of being a badass on his own, and he's piloting ships, and he's capable of having some degree of autonomy. Um, for that reason, I'm going to give it a 56, jumping up a little bit from my last rating, out of order 66. Very nice. What about you, C-3PIO? Yeah, I I echo that as well, Jake. I agree the practical designs of the costumes of of the Alamites and and, uh, the surroundings of the city were were very cool and and fully realized as kind of a post-apocalyptic tonal. Um, I had some... Big pacing problems with this episode. I'm, we didn't really need to get too much into it. Everything kind of felt just just enough, like Grogu just barely getting away and getting to a completely different moon in time. It, it all felt kind of like, hate to say it, but Last Jedi pacing. Oh. Uh, but if you take away the My pacing, gosh. if you take away the timeline of it all... Uh, the action and emotion in, in this episode was incredibly good. Uh, I love uh, the, the chemistry that, that Din and, and uh, Bo-Katan have and then throw Grogu in the mix. And then, of course, you bring the creatures into mm. the, to play here and, and they uh, take that episode to that next level. I'm going to give this a nice, solid 50. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the episode. Oopla. I just I hope we've been to like six different planets already in two episodes. I, I hope they find some steady ground and a more stable through line for the season. But overall, I, I, I think right now we can give them some credit for just getting started in the first two episodes. And I'll give this one a 50. All right, Blah. I'll take it. I think they got a great through line set up for this season, but hey, that's fine. We can disagree on some things, but I'm excited to see where everything goes with this whole uh, revitalization of Mandalore. Andy, what about you? What do you think on this episode? 
Oh, I, I this is definitely my favorite episode of the season so far uh, out of the two we've gotten. Here. <laughs> hoopla. Um, I would say hoopla. hoopla. I, I would say seeing the Mandalorian once again we say lore a lot. Mandalorian lore world building understanding Mandalore more. Like this is this has been great for the series. Like Bo-Katan's character is one we've wanted to see them even live action for a long time and i thought there was just going to be a cameo last season but this is a main character of the series now um at least it seems to be um, uh, poised to do so um i i thought their interactions mandalorian or dinjarin and and, and bo katan their interactions were great i love the relationship between bo katan and grogu um how they interacted and she said who who are you looking at like i, I just thought the the pairings are kind of nice um and then seeing mandalore uh in this apocalyptic uh you know way is really interesting so i'm going to give it an 82 one thing i really Whoa, 82 out of 66 this, oh, the highest hey, rating oh, in the history oh of this guy <laughs> wow i did i did this math. guy loved the I'm episode giving it a 54 out of 66 <laughs> hey. you know me in math um, Boo. I, one thing i really appreciate is we have seen all of the scenes from the trailers from the marketing materials um already I was under the impression that this was going to be one of the final episodes in the series, getting to the mines. Mm. Right. That's all completed. So where do we go from here? I'm not sure. And there could be a lot of different interesting paths uh, Dave Filoni and, and John Favreau could take. So I'm really excited to see what happens. Excellent. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see how we go with the next, uh, what do we got? Eight more episodes of this season? Six, six more six episodes. More. Yes. Oh no, only six. And now... And now Pedro Pascal can never take his helmet off again. Well, Ooh. so that was going to be my question to, to begin my <laughs> review is, did that count as completing his little ritual? I don't think he's, mm. I don't think he's completed better. his bathing yeah, he in saw the, the mythosaur. Yet. He bathed and almost I mean, died. He got, yeah. <laughs> fully wet. <laughs> he said the words. He didn't say all the right. words, though. So does he have to try again? Okay. Or uh, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I like this episode. I thought it was pretty good. There were some pacing issues, maybe a little bit, um, but overall it was exciting. And I'm very much looking forward to moving forward with Mando and Bo-Katan and Grogu, trying to bring everybody back to Mandalore and to see if they can survive the Mythosaur. So I'll give this a solid 53 out of 66. Hoopla. I mean, hoopla. I mean, you never know. He may have been saying the creed as he was being plummeted to the bottom of the <laughs> honestly true. If, if, it was off screen now that it was I off think screen. about it the armor would probably take this as oh yeah that's what happens in the mind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like i think he probably completed his ritual yeah the part that really like finished it all off yeah. on step five yeah just boop <laughs> Except he got help from Bo-Katan. If he wanted to do it for real, he would have had to climb his way uh, up. That's that is the piece that I'm interested in. Armor versus Bo-Katan. Ooh. Oh. And what is dead may never die. Amen. Jim, take us out. Thank you all for joining us this week for a Holocron Hoopla episode about season three, episode two of The Mandalorian. Tune in again next week for episode three. Again, we would very much appreciate it if you guys give us a, a like, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Uh, 
uh, and hit us up on Twitter and go check out our merch store. We got so many exciting things. But now the moment of highest hoopla. The quote of the episode. What do you have for us this week, Andy? As Bo-Katan said, Look around. There's nothing left. A great society is now a memory. I once ruled here for a brief time. Now it's destroyed. Nothing to cling to but ashes. <laughs>